one of the many uh, blessings that we enjoy here at Lakeside is being, uh, I think God has just given us as a church so many men that are faithful to teach God's word and so many men that, um, that are able at a moment's notice to, to clearly and accurately explain God's word and to help us to see it in the context of our lives. And one of those men is a, a guy who's become a, a friend of mine over these, these last few months that we've lived here. And I just have such a respect and a appreciation for this brother. It's Ralph, Ralph Clements, who um, some of you may not know, but less than a few years ago was the pastor of a small church, Sovereign Grace Reformed Baptist Church here in the area. And God just led them to... Um, to say, hey, we as a church, you know, God has brought us together for a purpose, but now he's going to, you know, bring us apart for a purpose. And, you know, one of the churches that they recommended that their people go to was here at Lakeside. And we've got a number of their families that we've just been so blessed to to worship the Lord on, alongside and to call friends and brothers. And uh, Ralph is just a faithful uh, teacher and preacher of God's word. And so uh, we're excited to be blessed by God's word through you this morning, brother. Thank you. Blessing. Um to be given an opportunity to preach God's Word. Um, thank you to Ken and the elders for allowing me. If you have your Bibles, if you will, um, turn to Matthew chapter 5 as you are standing for the reading of God's Word. Matthew chapter 5, our primary text this morning being uh, verses 13 through 16. Went through uh, several different sermons uh, before coming back to this one that I originally started with and um, the Lord has obviously used this in the last few months in my own life, and so um, this is what he wanted me to preach um, after Ken told me that the other sermons that I picked were already preached not long ago. So, um, But anyway, beginning in Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 13, the word of the Lord to his people. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Father, this morning we ask that you would bless the reading and the preaching of your word for your glory and for the edification of your people. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Around A.D. 133, Aristides, a teacher of philosophy, presented a defense of Christianity to Emperor Hadrian. And I pray that what he said in defending Christianity would be said of us as well. These are his words. Whence they who still serve the righteousness of Jesus' preaching are called Christians who are well known. Now the Christians, O King, have the commandments of the Lord Jesus Christ himself engraven on their hearts. And they observe, looking for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. They commit neither adultery nor fornication, nor do they bear false witness. They do not covet other men's goods, they honor father and mother and love their neighbors. They do not unto others that which they would not have done unto themselves. They comfort those that wrong them and make friends of them. They labor to do good to their enemies. They are meek and gentle. 
As for their servants or handmaids or their children, if they have any, they persuade them to become Christian for the love that they have towards them. They distribute liberally to him that does not. If they see a stranger, they bring him under their roof and rejoice over him as if it were their own brother. And if there is among them a man that is poor and needy, and they have not an abundance of necessities, they fast two or three days that they may supply the needy with the necessary food. For Christ's sake, they are ready to lay down their lives. When you and I are dead and gone, will these kind of stories be read about us? Will they say these things about the Christians of the 21st century? How we lived our lives in such a way that we added a distinct flavor to the world or that we became this super cluster of stars that shone so brightly into the world and people noticed that there was something radically different about us and how we lived. There is a way in which you and I as disciples of Jesus Christ should live our lives in this world that would make that kind of impact for the kingdom of God. J.C. Ryle says there must be something marked, distinct, and peculiar about our character if we are truly Christian. And through the first 12 verses that we did not read this morning, but I pray that you would go back and read them, through the first 12 verses of Matthew chapter 5, Jesus puts forth the character of those who are citizens of God's kingdom. A kingdom other than this world, there is a a character about us that is described in those verses by Jesus that we as believers, as disciples, as citizens of another kingdom should exemplify in our daily lives. And according to Jesus, these character qualities are marked those who are blessed. It's funny that so many times we say we're blessed when business is good. And when things are great in our lives, right? But notice something here. At the end of the Beatitudes, look at verse 11. Jesus shocks his disciples and and probably shocks us as well when he says, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Blessed are those who are persecuted. Normally, and, and I know in America, we never put the word blessed and we never put the word persecuted in the same sentence together. They are adamantly opposed to one another. I cannot be blessed if I'm being persecuted, if I'm under suffering, if I'm under the weight of pain. That cannot be true. And many people today in our church culture in America would say, you know, I, I like that blessed stuff. That's good. But I, I'm, I don't like that persecuted thing. And and it's not like persecution is fun to us. And, and I liken it to, you, you've seen the TV shows or the commercials where the guy and the girl are coming out each other opposite ends of the hayfield, and they're all smiling ear to ear, you know. And then they embrace. That's not what we do to persecution. We don't think of persecution in this joyful way. But yet Jesus says here, blessed are those who are persecuted. The, the idea of persecution strikes fear into our hearts because it means ridicule and it means pain and it, and it possibly even means our death. And so we don't like those things and so we try to get away from them and, and our defense mechanisms go up when we talk about persecution. And, and so some people react and they say, you know what, if I'm going to be persecuted by the world and they're going to reject my message anyway, 
then perhaps I should just withdraw from society and, and let's just get away. Let's, let's have our own little commune and just get away from everybody else and have our place out in the country so we don't have to deal with people and they won't persecute me. And obviously in the church history, if you read church history, the monastic movement was a withdrawal from society. Get away from that which is evil. And, and then other people would say perhaps that the world is a lost cause and I'm not going to waste my time I'm not going to waste my energies, and I'm not going to waste my money. If they are going to reject God, and they're going to reject the gospel, and, and so if they're going to do that, then it really doesn't matter what I do. And so I'm not going to try to impact them with the gospel because they're going to reject it anyway, and then they're going to persecute me in the, in the same way. So if, if that's going to happen, I'm just going to blend in. I'm just going to I'm going to just be like them and, and not make any waves in, in, in their world so that they don't persecute me and, and they don't look at me strange. And so people compromise their faith a little bit here and there. But Jesus says in our text today that neither of those ways are the proper way for you and I to relate to the world. Verses 1 through 11 are tied to 13 uh, through 16 by verse 12. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. The prophets of God engaged the world with this Christ-like character, with this truth from God's word, and so they were persecuted for it. And if our character is to be different from the world and it is shown through our actions and our speech, then we too can expect ridicule and pain and persecution to come upon us. And so in our text today, Jesus gives us two illustrations that demonstrate how true disciples of Christ are to relate to the world in which we live. He shows us how those character qualities of verses 1 through 11 are to come out of us in such a way that people see our good works and they become worshipers of our Heavenly Father. And so he first describes that relationship in verse 13. He says, you are the salt of the earth. Verse 14, you are the light of the world. It, the you here in, the, in these two verses is emphatic and it is restrictive in nature. It's not for everyone. It's not the crowd. It's not the masses. Jesus is still addressing his disciples. And therefore, if you're a disciple of Christ here this morning, he is speaking to you. Those who have counted the cost, who have laid down their lives, dying to self, those who are sojourners in this land, who are looking for another land, those who are merely passing by, those who have put their faith in Jesus Christ. If that is you here this morning, Jesus is speaking to you through these words. And so Christian, hear the words of Christ. It is a call to surrender. Look at verse 13. You are the salt of the earth. Verse 14, you are are the light of the world. Do you notice something here? You're not the salt and light of yourself. You're not the salt and light of the church. Okay? You are the salt and light of the world, of the earth. And so right from the beginning, Jesus calls us to surrender our desires and our wants and our ambitions and our comforts and our two-second pleasures so that we can impact the world for Him. Listen, we have not been saved to sit in those nice, comfortable chairs that you're sitting in today. That is not why God saved us. He has not called us to build up big, 
church buildings so that we can come into nice air condition and forget what's on the outside of our walls. If you look at Genesis chapter 11 and, and, and the Tower of Babel, how God said right before Genesis 11, be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. It's repeated throughout Genesis 1 through 11. And he's saying, be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. Fill the earth with his glory, right? And so what happens in Genesis 11, the text says, and they settled in the plain of Shinar, and they built a great wall and a great tower into the heavens. You see, God said, go, be fruitful and fill the earth. And they said, we're good. We're good right here in this little little." little town we built us. It's got big walls. Nobody can come in and bother us. we got a great big tower. We're going into the heavens. We're going to know God through this. And, and look at our churches today. So many of our churches are building big buildings, and we're, our families are putting walls around us so that nobody can come in, and we want to block everybody out. And yet God said in Matthew chapter 28, go make disciples. Acts chapter 1, he said, you will be my witnesses in Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. He said, don't stay in Jerusalem. Go to the ends of the earth and make disciples of all nations, of all people groups, of every ethnic linguistic group in the world. Go do that. And yet we build these nice towers around us to protect ourselves from the world so they don't impact us with their sinfulness. It's not what God told us to do. We've been called to surrender our lives to his desire. And if you're a disciple of Jesus this morning, you've been called with a purpose to impact the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. So let's turn our attention to verse 13, this idea of salt. Salt has many uses. Um, I could sit here all morning and bore you with, with that if you want me to. But I want to focus on one aspect of salt that I believe is, is the main thought behind this text. You are the salt of the earth. I, I want to speak to the aspect this morning of seasoning. The people are God of God are seasoning to the world. Salt is in this regard, in, in the regard of seasoning, very inconspicuous. It that is, it doesn't draw attention to itself. Um, you can't see salt when it's in sea salt. I just got that. You can't see salt inside of a dish. Um, but you know when it's not there. I mean, it's obvious when salt is missing from the plate. And, and so the power of salt lies within its very distinct nature. It's, its power is that it is drastically different from what it is put into, right? Food is bland. Salt gives us great flavor to it. And that's the way it is with you and I. We're salt to this world. It, it's bland, but yet God has said, go out and salt it, seizing the world with the grace of God. God has shown us in the Beatitudes here, verses 1 through 12, the character qualities that should mark our lives, whereby we season the world with. Humility and, and meekness and, and poor spirit and, and, and all, all of these uh, these being a peacemaker, being pure in heart, being merciful to others, th that should just flow out of us as, as we're salt, as we're seasoning the world around us. Now we must season the world with those so that the gospel of Jesus Christ looks good and tastes good when they taste it. Because you know what? We can, as Christians, we, and, and I've 
I, I dislike Facebook in so many ways um, because people feel like they can get on there and say whatever they want to and have no significant meaning behind it and they don't have to be held accountable. And I get tired of people bashing the church on Facebook and, and people in, in, in the church. And we can make the gospel taste bad by the way we act and the words that come out of our mouth. And we are called to make it taste good. We are to look at them and say, taste and see that the Lord is good. Amen? And so we are to season the world. If we're not seasoning the world, then we're just another part of the plate. And there's nothing different about us. Then Jesus uses this contrast. and He uses the word but. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. The but if here is the wasted life. As his disciples, we are salt of the world. But if we have lost our saltiness, that is, if we have lost our ability to impact the world, then the implication is that we are worthless. We're nothing but to be just cast out. Again, the very power of salt is that it is starkly contrasted to whatever it is put in. And so if we look just like everything else, there is no power in us. And we're worthless. We're unproductive, unfruitful, Titus said, and uh, Paul says in Titus. I'll never forget going in, doing prison ministry, and uh, going to sit down at the, at the lunch table with them, and they had this plate of, I don't know what, it, it's, it was food, it was something, I don't know. But these guys would literally take the salt shaker in front of me and just start doing this. I mean, just pour. And I mean, it looked like snow had just drifted over the top of these guys' plates when they're done. And they just stir it, and they mix it all up. And it, it took something that was nasty and disgusting and no taste to it and turned it into something that was edible, that tasted good to them because it was their food. The flavoring of salt changed the very essence of that nasty, disgusting plate that was in front of them. It impacted every other ingredient in the meal because it was different than that. Now think about that in our Christian walk for just a moment. We are set down right smack in the middle of a world that is sinful and wicked and in rebellion against God. And he's saying, listen, brothers and sisters, you need to be seasoning in that world. You need to be mixed up into that world. You need to go out and mix in with people. Don't withdraw from them. Don't say they're sinners. They're going to rub off on me. They're going to make me sinful. Yeah, so I think that's what we think sometimes. They're going to make us sinful as if we're not sinful. But we got to get in there and we got to get mixed in with them. We are, we are to be the salt of the earth, to season it with the character of God. But if salt is not salty, then it doesn't do anything. There's really no reason for it to be put in the food. And if, a, if as a disciple of Jesus Christ you're not being salt, if you're not impacting the world, then the Bible says you're wasting your life away. You're wasting the very existence that God gave you for something that's meaningless. It's unproductive and good for nothing. I know that, I know that sounds harsh in, in the philosophy world of our today, you know, make people feel good about themselves. But this is reality. God says we're wasting our lives if we're not salting the earth with his grace, with the character of Christ. 
We are called to be different from the world. Even though they may persecute us, they may ridicule us, they may speak evil of us, no matter what they do to us, we are called to be different from the world. If we are to be salt, then we must love the world. Okay? If we are to be salt, then we are to call them to repentance. And we must be willing to stand up and say, all truth is not equal. That not all roads lead to heaven. And that not all lifestyles are acceptable before God. We have to be willing to be salt to the wounds of the world. We have to stand up and engage them with the gospel. And if we're not doing that, then we're as useless as unsalty salt which doesn't make sense. And we're wasting our lives away. Jesus said also we're to relate to the world by being the light of the world. You are the light of the world. In John 8, 12, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. But here he says, you are the light of the world. How are we to understand Jesus' words here? Ephesians 5, 8, now you are light in the Lord. Philippians 2.15, you shine as lights in the world. There is an intimacy that must happen in our lives if we're going to be the light of Christ. Being the light is not just going to happen outside of an abiding relationship with Jesus Christ. John chapter 15, Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches, whoever abides in me and I in him, it is he who does what? Bears much fruit, right? And so we must give ourselves to knowing God through his word. We have to spend time in prayer and meditation and fasting and worship before God so that when we leave our homes in the morning, there's a glow about us. You know, Moses comes trampling down that mountain after spending, what, 40 days before God and and What's happened? The people are like, Moses, put something over your head. You're blinding us. You're glow. There's a radiance about you. Can you imagine if we go into our schools and into our places of employment and we walk in and people say, man, what happened to you? There's this glow. There's this radiance about you I've never seen before. Can you imagine what that would do to our jobs? Can you imagine what it would do to our schools? Can you imagine what it would do to our communities? If people actually looked at us and saw the radiance of God through us. Christ is the light. So you and I are to shine that light into the darkness. We are to reflect that light just like the moon reflects the sun. We are to reflect that light into a world that is full of darkness. We're not to withdraw from the world. The light of Christ will never shine into the darkest crevices of our earth if you and I don't take it there. Because God has called us. You see, that's one of the plans about God, that he decided to use you and I, sinners, saved by grace. He chose to use us in his plan of redemption. How humbling is that? And so it's not going to shine. The gospel will never go to the jungles of Peru if you and I don't take it there. It's not going to happen. And those people will spend eternity separated from God if you and I don't take the light of Christ to them. Jesus once again uses a metaphor, this contrast. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, 
nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. The light that is within us should make us look like a city that is set upon a hill that cannot be hidden. A city that is set upon a hill can be seen from a great distance. For the past four years or so, we've been traveling to Colorado to go skiing every January. And we, drive, we have been driving all night through. And we would leave the slopes at 5 o'clock in the evening and we would drive. And there's nothing more beautiful than coming upon the city of Amarillo that is just it's the most beautiful thing. It's lit up for miles. We don't even get to the city. You can see this great, vast city. I mean, it's stretched out. And it's so wonderful because it's the halfway mark for us to get home. And it's like, yeah. But the city, you come over the hill, and there it is. We're not even close to it. We're still so far away, but you can see the lights of the city just permeating. And it brings joy to my heart to see that. And, and you know what? That's, that's exactly how it should be with us. Because, if, listen, if we claim to be a Christian... And people cannot see the difference in our lives. They will lose hope. There is no hope for them if they don't see Christ in us. I see that city light. I'm like, there's hope. We're almost home. People need to see the hope of Jesus Christ that is within us. What what did the apostles say? Be able to give what? A defense for what? The hope that's within us. And how do they know hope? Because they see it in us. Because there's so much light permeating out of our lives. So many Christians walk around as if there is no hope. Church, we get, we, this world is lost, dying, and going to hell without Jesus Christ. And God has called us to be light, to shine into their lives. The idea here in the text, people don't put a, a light on a lamp and put it under a basket. The idea of this city being set on a hill is that it is inevitable. It has to shine. It cannot not shine when it's set up on a hill. And so the same is true for true disciples of Christ. We must shine. We must shine. We cannot conceal our light. So this idea of, of putting the lamp under a, a basket is, would have been sh- surely recognized by the people that, that it was written to, but you know, they didn't flip on a switch and lights pop on everywhere. They actually had to light this lamp, and they'd set it up in the high place in the, in the room so that everybody in the house could see what was going on. And, and this word that is used here, the, the people light, is in the present tense. And, and, and so what that means is a continuous action. And so they didn't just set it up there one time and then walk away and never put the light back up there. Every evening, the light goes up into the high spot in the house so that everybody that comes in can see it over and over and over and over again. It's not just good enough to say, oh, I witnessed to somebody three years ago. No, keep being the light of Christ over and over and over and over so that a dying world can see the light of Jesus Christ and repent and turn to him. Should not be an option for us. But those who put the light up and then put the basket on, here's the Wasted life, once again, kind of defeats the purpose of lighting a lamp to put it under a basket. It just doesn't make any sense. 
It's a picture of the wasted life, one that doesn't shine, one that cowards in, one that blends in with the world around them and doesn't expose the darkness. But the unwasted life shines bright as the noonday, just like that homeowner that keeps putting that lamp up there for everybody to see. We were created for a purpose, folks. Our lives have been given to us so that we may shine for Jesus. To not do that is to waste your one and only life that God has blessed you with. It is in the nature of light to bring illumination. And so Jesus is telling his people, I didn't give you light. I didn't save you. I didn't enlighten your hearts and your minds so that you could keep that to yourself. That's not why the lamp is lit. Jesus puts his light in you and he puts his light in me so that we would go forth and share that light with others so that the truth of the gospel would go out and pierce their hearts and they would repent and turn to him. And so should it should be the very nature of Christ's followers to shine brightly in the darkness. We're not to compromise. We're not to withdraw. We are to be light to the minds of the spiritually depraved. We are to be spiritual truth to a world that says there is no absolute truth. And if we do that, we will not be wasting our lives. And the people of God will see, the people will see us and glorify our Father in heaven. Look at verse 16. It says, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Your light is to shine in such a way that your life issues forth in good works. And people see that and they worship God. Our lives should be marked by good works. The fruit that comes out of our lives should testify to the reality of God's work within us. We are called in Galatians 5 to walk by the Spirit, to be led by the Spirit, to live by the Spirit, to stay a step with the Spirit, not fulfilling the desires of this flesh, but to surrender to a life that is wholeheartedly led by God's Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness. That should be what comes out of us as we're led by the Spirit of God. And there's something that needs to be addressed because the Pharisees had good works. So what's the difference? Their works were were for self-exaltation. Our works are for Christ's exaltation so that people will see right past us and they will see God in all his beauty and they will worship him. Do you live your life for the glory of God? If you have not surrendered your life to living for the glory of God by being salt and light in the world, John Piper says, you're a glory thief. You're robbing God of the glory that he deserves because you're taking it on yourself. The glory of God is at stake. Church, listen to me. The glory of God is at stake in how we live our lives, 
How is he viewed through the lens of your life and my life? Earlier we said that some withdrew from the world and moved into their own communities and blocked themselves off in monasteries and others just kind of blended into the world. The truth of the matter is there are many Christians today who have never darkened the doors of a monastery who have lived their lives out in isolation from the world. They're involved in good stuff. They're good at home to their kids and their, and their families. They're, they're, they're involved in their community, but they're not being salt. And they're not engaging the world with the light of Christ. And so they live their so-called Christian lives out with any real Christ-like involvement in the world. And, and really what we're saying, when we don't become salt and light to the world, what we're telling the world around us is, I really don't care where you spend eternity. I, I really don't care where you are in your relationship with God. We don't want to say that, but that's what we're telling people when we don't confront them with the gospel of Jesus. And we slowly, day by day, waste our lives away for our own sake and not God's glory. Christians, let me tell you, this is not what we've been saved for. You have been saved for something great. You have been saved for something infinitely greater than anything that this life has to offer you. God called you. He he saved you. He made you a child of his. He poured out his love and that he sent his one and only son, Jesus, to die upon a cross so that he might redeem you and I from our sins and that we might enjoy him forever. He did all of that so that we could make much of him and not much of ourselves by being salt and light in the world. So go to your jobs and work, not for a paycheck, not for recognition, not so that you can get elevated in your job. Play, go do sports wherever you do them. Go play, not for the recognition that you get of a trophy. Go and live your lives in such a way that it exalts God, who is greatly more infinitely valuable than anything we could earn with our physical hands. Live our lives for Him, for His sake, for His glory, by being salt and light in the world around us. How do I do that? Titus chapter 3, one of the sermons that I was going to preach, speaks to this idea. Titus chapter 3, Paul says, remind uh, the believers there. And, and he talks about how they're, they're, they're in sin and there's wickedness and anger and strife and all these things. And then he says, and, and by the way, we once were foolish and we were just like them. Right? That's, just, that's what he's saying in the text. Don't, don't misunderstand Titus 3. He's like, there's sinners out there in the world. Remember that. And remember also what? You were just like them. But God being rich in goodness and mercy toward us. Right? I mean, that's, that's the essence of what Paul's saying there. I'm not getting it word for word. But that's the essence of what Paul's saying is that he saved us. Listen. We were sinners. We were out there in wickedness and darkness and envy and malice and wrath and and opposed to God. We were at war with God. 
But God, being rich in his mercy outside of anything within us, saved us and called us by his name. Listen, preach the gospel to yourself every day. Preach the gospel to yourself every day. If we forget this great truth, if we forget that we were sinners and we are saved by grace, And we've been called by God and separated not because of anything we did. If we forget the truth of Titus 3, if we forget Romans chapter 1, 16 and 17, if we forget the gospel, we don't really care what happens to anybody. I'm convinced that we don't preach the gospel to ourselves enough because if we did, we would understand where we were headed outside of Christ. And we would want everybody to come and experience life in Him. You know why we go to, the, go to the Amazon jungle? Because, listen, got into a theological discussion. I'm on a side note here. This guy tried to tell me that don't tell people about Jesus because then they won't be accountable. Wrong. Wrong. Paul says they were without excuse. We have to tell them. Don't say somebody else will do it. No. It is your responsibility. You, emphatically, disciple of Jesus Christ, it is your responsibility to tell others about Jesus Christ. To be light into the darkness of their eyes. So preach the gospel to yourself so that we will stay on our knees before God praying for souls to come to know Him. And we will stay disciplined for godliness in our own lives. There is a way in which we live our lives that will prove to be unfruitful for the kingdom of God. Titus 3, let our people learn to devote themselves to good works so as to not be unfruitful. How are you living? Are you living so that people will see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven? Or are you living in such a way that people don't even know if God exists? Are you involved in your community? Do you participate in evangelism and missions? And Listen, the way to answer that is, do you have a job? Do you go to school somewhere? Do you go to the grocery store? Do you go shopping, ladies? Do you go out and play? If you can answer yes to any of those, we need to be participating and sharing the gospel. Your job, your school, your places of play provide an opportunity for you and I to, do, to live out Christian lives, to have our character exemplified. So are you being salt and light to those you come in contact with? Do, you, do they see your good works and want to know your God If you're not involved in the world, if you're not engaging the world, there needs to be a radically Christ-centered change in your mindset. If you want to live your life with meaning and significance and purpose, listen to this. Solomon, the wisest man in the world, came to the end of his life after chasing every other means, said, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. 
If we live our lives outside of the purpose that God has called us for, all is vain. We have lived our lives and wasted it away on meaninglessness. But we're not going to do that because God has told us not to. He has called us. He has empowered us to live the Christian life. We're not called to withdraw from the world. We're not called to blend in with them. We are called to be salt in the open wound of sin in people's lives so they will receive the spiritual healing that they need that can only be found in Jesus Christ. We are called to be light, piercing into the darkness of humanity's wickedness so that they will see Jesus. Church, we have a responsibility as Christians, to be engaged with the world in good works. Why? So they might see Christ, repent, and become a worshiper. Genesis 1 starts out, talks about worshipers being all over the earth. Revelation concludes with worshipers at the, around the throne from every tribe. We are called to make worshipers. Are they seeing that lived out in our lives each and every day. Let us pray. Father, thank you for this word for me. Thank you for preaching this message to me numerous times. For calling me back to this text today. Father, I pray that you would help us as we seek to honor you, we seek to bring glory to your name, Father, by being salt and light in this world. God, move in our lives in the power of your Spirit. Draw us unto you, Father, that we would go forth from this place making disciples of all nations for your glory and for your honor. In Jesus' name. Amen.